Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Paul Farrago, founder of Ace Marks, premium Italian dress shoes sold D2C without the retail markups. Paul was well aware that if you wanted a premium leather dress shoe, there was a price that came with that. Harnessing modern technology, Ace Marks knew that they could get rid of the middleman and their markups to directly deliver a world-class, handcrafted Italian source dress shoe, all at an attainable cost. At Ace Marks, you can find a wide variety of boots, sneakers, dress shoes, and much more. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Paul Farrago of Ace Marks. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you, Cameron, for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Sure. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, I've actually stayed here all my life. My childhood was great. I have a parent. I have one. Uh, I have two parents, I should say, my, my brother as well. We grew up in a, a nice community. Uh, my parents are both entrepreneurs and they've been in the shoe business uh, themselves for a very long time. My father had a few businesses before that as well. Um, so, you know, everything was a, a pretty, I guess, normal, typical childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So when you say the shoe business, was it uh, dress shoes as well? Yeah. So my, my family was in the, actually, they still are in the children's shoe business. Okay. Uh, my, my mother actually started a, opened up a shoe store here in South Miami back in 1989. Uh, she did that as a hobby. She was, she was a board housewife at the time mm-hmm. and uh, the business failed. She, but she ended up uh, creating nice relationships in Italy and Spain. And she decided to close up the retail store and she turned that into a children's uh, wholesale business, which through, through about, through until the end of the, the 90s, the early 2000s, um, kind of grew into not just a, a business where she was importing uh, just random rent. She actually ended up uh, getting exclusive distribution uh, deals done with some of the high-end luxury brands like Dolce Gabbana, Cavalli, mm. uh, Armani at the time. So, so it kind of snowballed into a, a bigger business. And all, this, all, all at the same time, uh, we were always developing our own in-house brands. So, mm. and also licensing some brands. So it was men's dress shoes, but it was always in the better to, to luxury uh, segments of the market, mostly in children's and women's. Got it. For yourself then, would you say that you had an entrepreneurship mindset, say a lemonade stands or aid with your parents' businesses at the time? Uh, yes, actually. So my, my first business uh, was selling candy in school. Um, okay. <laughs> my father would take me to uh, Sam's Club at the time, I think it was, or or, or BJ Wholesale, and we'd buy candy in bulk, and I'd carry candy around in my backpack and sell to, uh, to a lot of my classmates. 
Um, that was also my first wholesale business because somebody else in uh, another class uh, saw what I was doing and started to buy candy for me and, <laughs> and selling it there as well. <laughs> so, so, so that was my version of a lemonade stand until I got caught at school and, and you know, that didn't turn out so well. So that business ended, uh, that's the way that business ended. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, and all the mean, you know, throughout, throughout my childhood, um, I spent a lot of time going with my family to Italy, going to the factories, um, you know, back then I didn't realize it was, it was, uh, I should have been happier about going to Italy in the, in the beginning, but I think that, uh, eventually I started getting the feel for it and started enjoying really the factory and watching the artisans work on their craft. Uh, so it, it was, it was an, it was an enjoyable time. And then I got to, you know, I got to not only see how the shoes were being made, but then when they'd arrived to uh, the U S I had spent a lot of time working in the warehouse, unloading containers. Um, I did that, uh, going to the trade shows, actually selling the shoes. So, so pretty early on from the time I was around uh, 12, 13, um, I was already uh, just working in the business um, and just kind of seeing all the different, all the different parts of the business, the supply chain part, also working with a lot of the customers at the trade show. So I, I was, I was pretty exposed to shoes early on. Mm, amazing. I saw you went on to study at the University of Miami in 19, uh, 1998. What did you study there? So I actually started international finance and marketing. Um, I, my intention was not to get into the shoe business. After I went to the University of Miami, I actually wanted to be an investment banker. Hmm. Um, but I spent the summer at Morgan Stanley. I think it was after my second year. And I realized that that's not what I wanted to do. Hmm. Um, so I, I graduated from school and I did end up going into the family business. I was there for two years. Uh, when we started really developing a, um, we started really focusing at that time. That was around the time that the, the lira, back then we were buying mostly from Italy, uh, mm-hmm. that the lira changed into the euro and the business of exclusive distribution of the time brands here in the U.S. was kind of dying just because the cost, uh, the cost of the shoes became overnight too high. Yeah. And so we started really developing our in-house brands. I did that for a couple of years and then I went uh, decided to to leave again, um, and and uh, get a a law degree. So I practiced law for about a year. After that, I was a commercial litigator. Mm-hmm. And in during the two thousand eight financial crisis, uh, my father pretty much gave me a call and said they. I, I was always helping involved in the business, so I never fully left the business. Yeah, the the shoe business. Uh, but he pretty much called me and and, and said that uh, it would be very helpful if I came and helped. Uh, full-time and so i decided to do that and got back into the business to help them through the financial crisis and i never really left up until 2016 when i decided to start ace marks Mm. so when your father gave you this call did you finish your uh, law degree or was this mid mid degree and did you uh, back out on that oh yeah no i finished my law degree and this was after i had graduated from law school and i was already working as a commercial litigator at a law firm Got it. And I was about 10 months into that when uh, I got that phone call. Okay, got it. And then following your time at uh, law school and then with your family's business, did you work for your father all the way up until Ace Marks or was there anything else going on in between this time? Um, no, I pretty much uh, worked, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but no, there's there's nothing else. I was just really focused on on working over there on developing our our, our brand at the time actually it still exists a brand was uh, Venetini mm. and so I was really focused on building that brand you know we're just a couple of years out 
uh, from from going should backtrack a little bit. So probably in the early 2000s, uh, we were the distributors for about 15 different brands. And that, that business really changed overnight. And so the focus started turning into developing our in-house brands, uh, which were always uh, there, but they're always just kind of like an afterthought. The focus is really on, on the, the other brands yeah. that we're bringing in. And so after 2008, when I came back in, I, I decided to, to really focus on making those brands even more successful than in-house brands. And we started doing that. We also uh, signed a licensing deal with uh, Donald Pliner. And so we were creating his children's shoes at, at the time. Hmm. And, and yeah, and so we started building that. I did that through 2015, 2016. And I, I'm gonna backtrack on what I said also a little bit that the idea for Ace Marks actually started developing in my, in my mind around 2012. Okay. And it came from a, from a, a couple of bad experiences that I had with a, a major brand of shoes and decided I could probably do better myself. But because I was so focused on building those brands in my family's business, um, I didn't. I didn't actually act on that idea for Ace Marks up until 2015, when I started developing uh, the product, and then finally launched it in 2016. So, what was that problem that you were trying to solve with that pre-existing brand, and then cr- by creating Ace Marks? So, you know, I had, I had, you know, I would go a lot. I would do a lot of business traveling, a lot of traveling to trade shows specifically, and, and to visit customers. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back from a show in Dallas and I was at the Dallas Fort Worth airport waiting to board my flight. And I was looking down on my feet and I had uh, on a black pair of loafers from this, uh, from this major brand. Mm-hmm. And I had spent 300 bucks, around $300 on those loafers. And it was the third pair of the exact same shoe that I had purchased from that brand in, in about a year. Mm. And they were all scratched up and it was a black pair, pair of black loafers, but the leather was all scratched already. And underneath the scratches, it was green. So it looked like a black and green shoe. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this would have been a $50 shoe. It's, it's one thing, but I had spent $300 on this pair of shoes. And it's for the third time, the exact same problem occur, occurred on them. Mm-hmm. So I decided I could probably do much better than that with the relationships that we have um, in Italy. Um, I could probably make a high-end Italian shoe and sell it direct to consumer for $300. And I'd, I'd be selling a much higher quality product than what's currently available on the market for around three hundred dollars, and so that's that was that was really a problem that I set out to solve. But you know, as I mentioned, it, it took me a few years to actually uh, follow through and, and and build the product and go out and and source it and actually launch the business. Yeah. So when you went out to uh, venture to find someone to source and produce, where did you first look? You looked looked in Italy. Was it like numerous factories, or how did that process look like? So, you know, I guess it's important to note that, you know, we, we already had some relationships in Italy. We also yeah. had relationships in Spain. So we, what I did at the time, actually my, my first go around, my first set of samples for Ace Marks was actually in Spain. And the reason for that was because I was spending a lot of time in Spain. And I know that Spain has uh, some really nice uh, men's footwear factories. And so, you know, through, through friends and acquaintances that we have in the industry there, um, I went to some of the better factories there, made some samples, but it wasn't, and they were really nice, well-constructed, but they didn't have, like, it didn't look like anything different that, w- that was readily available everywhere else. Yeah. So that's when I started uh, going uh, through my contacts in, in Italy. 
And we started, uh, you know, I started sourcing over there, went to visit a few factories through those contacts and eventually ended up where we did end up. And, and, and it's, you know, it, I, I, what really attracted me to, to, to the production of, the, our, of our main factories. So they're still our partners today in this business is just that when you look at it, you look at the shoe, it just looks different. It stands out the patinas on it, the colors on it. And when you're selling something online, like the imagery uh, becomes really important. So I felt that just, just the production and the, 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 the colors, the way that the, the patinas were made, were going to stand out uh, mm -hmm. a lot more than a lot of the shoes that, that, uh, that I had sampled and made in Spain. Did you end up acquiring any funding for uh, the first production run, say? No, for the, for the first production run, I, we, we launched the business on Kickstarter. Okay. Um, so, yeah. so what, what ended up happening, you know, we made, I, I, you know, created the product, created our, our line, created our collection, sourced everything. Um, and everything was pretty much ready to go, uh, in the beginning of 2015. And then once I had that all done, uh, I kind of realized that I don't know almost anything about digital marketing or selling anything online. Mm -hmm. And I had no clue how we were going to attract traffic to our website. So I spent, you know, so I decided one night, I don't, you know, just kind of out of nowhere that we're going to, to launch a Kickstarter campaign um, because it seemed like a, a pretty cool way. It was, it was new, it was different. I feel like I had nothing to lose if I tried launching a, a Kickstarter campaign and see if we can get some traction that way. But I also knew nothing about Kickstarter or how to run a Kickstarter campaign. So I spent 2015 um, literally transcribing every, every highly successful Kickstarter campaign that I found. And just trying to figure out if there's any patterns between the successful ones and the ones that were less successful and seeing like what the pitch was, like what, what they were mentioning, how, how they were structuring their videos, how they're stretching their pitches. And so after about a year and also, you know, hiring a few different videographers and, and whatnot, um, going through a few different versions of, of, uh, of what ultimately became our video, uh, we were ready to launch, uh, in 2016 and, that's how we funded our first production run. We, we thankfully um, ended up doing a pretty nice job. I think we became the most successful crowdfund, the most successful footwear project in crowdfunding history back in 2016. Wow. We raised about $574,000 on the platform. Amazing. And that's, yeah, thank you. And that's, and that's how we started Ace Marks. That was the first funding that we got. What product? Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I, I should probably say, we, I did spend about fifteen to $20,000 of my own money to, to, you know, from the sampling, the traveling, mm. uh, the video production, and launching the campaign to begin with. But yeah. outside of that, we funded uh, through Kickstarter. What product did you launch on Kickstarter? Was it one shoe or was it a variety of, was it a whole line or what was it? Yeah, it was actually our, our a whole line. It was an entire collection. Okay. Um we had launched and it's still up there today. We launched, um, if I remember correctly, it was uh, actually, it's funny, funny enough, we've launched about 650 different SKUs uh, since then. But that first collection that we launched on Kickstarter still is, is still our best selling collection. Um, and, and in terms of those shoes, if you look on our website, asmarks.com, most of the shoes that are on there were from that original collection. I shouldn't say mm -hmm. most, but a lot of the shoes that are on there from that, were that, from that original collection. Got it. So having such a successful Kickstarter campaign, um, I'm curious, what was your main forms of marketing then, especially not really having experience in D2C prior or digital marketing at the time? So our, what, 
where we found the most success in that first campaign uh, was with influencers. And it was around the time where, um, you know, I, I guess the business of influencing was not as big as it is now. And it was still a little bit early. And I'd say that it was really almost a lot of luck that we ended up, you know, finding these, these, uh, some, some of these YouTube influencers, uh, which today are, are, are much bigger than they were today. Like real men, real style, alpha M, mm-hmm. um, gentlemen's gazette. Uh, a lot of those guys, which today are, are pretty much the guys when it comes to, to men's fashion and style. Um, we started with, with those guys really early on, um, about five years ago at this point, and they were not as big as they were, but they had already built a very dedicated audience that trusted them. And, you know, I got along very well with them and their manager. And even though they were a little bit hesitant about marketing a Kickstarter campaign back then, they ended up uh, going along with it. And, you know, we've, we've been working together ever since. So that, that was our, that was our number one, our number one, wait, our number, our best, the best marketing channel that we had in that campaign. Amazing. So based off of that campaign, were you able to pull some stats on kind of your main demographic? What kind of uh, purchase trends were you seeing? Yeah, so that's the other thing that, that I really like about uh, crowdfunding. Um, we were able to get data that we probably wouldn't have been able to get uh, without uh, until a few years down the road. Um, you know, our, our main demographic back then, and again, this is Kickstarter, so it kind of trends a little bit younger. Uh, mm-hmm. We really, really saw mostly 25 to 35-year-old uh, you know, young, somewhat affluent males uh, that were buying our shoes, uh, young professionals. A lot of them were young professionals. And uh, it's, it's funny that you asked me this question because we were recently looking at these numbers uh, the other day. <laughs> and so uh, when, whenever we were, we were running Kickstarter campaigns, our audience trended a little bit younger, but on our website, our audience tends to be uh, a little bit older. So we get a lot more 35 to 45 and 50 year olds on our website. Got it. So looking at Ace Marks today, overall, what would you say separates your brand from your competitors then? Um, I can confidently say that there isn't another shoe on the market that for $300, you get the quality and the craftsmanship they get with our shoes. Mm. Um, there's no other shoe at this price point uh, that's, first of all, Italian and hand painted and hand dyed and handcrafted. So usually when you're, when you, when you, when you put all those things together, you're going to be spending at the very least, I'd say $450 to, you know, if you find something on sale to maybe six to $700 minimum. Hmm. What would you say is your top seller then to date? If you have any analytics on that. Our top seller today is our Black Capital Oxford, which is a, a men's classic. And, you know, I really never thought that people would come to us for classics and and essentially core product like that. I, I always envisioned selling bolder, uh, crazier styles and color combinations. Mm-hmm. But Black Capital Oxford is our number one seller. It follow, followed very closely by a Black Oxford whole cut. Okay. And talking about uh, D to C from the very start of this business. I'm curious if you're looking into getting into retail eventually, or if you have any retail spots locked down, or do you look to stay hundred percent e-commerce 
with ace marks? Uh, another very timely question. Uh, yeah. We, we <laughs> you know, with, with the pandemic, obviously our business was affected and yeah. the demand for dress shoes has declined over the past uh, 12 to 15 months. So we, you know, about a year and a half ago, I probably would have told you that we're, we're going to stick with direct to consumer um, only, mm -hmm. but we've become a little bit more open to working with the right retailers. Yeah. So, and to me, the right retailer at the moment would be an independent that has uh, the same passion for forward, the same passion for shoes, understands the quality and their customer base under understands the message of quality and craftsmanship that we're trying to convey to our, to our consumer. So, mm. so we're open to, we've, we've, um, we've actually always said no to, to a lot of the retailers, but over the past couple of weeks, we've started getting more and more inquiries as retail starts to open up again. And so we're, we're having those conversations. Awesome. I saw that you have a give back portion on the site and uh, this is really inspiring. Um, it's return an old pair of shoes and they can receive $50 credit for new ones. And then the old ones are donated to the career gear. I was, yes. um, was this forefronted at the very start of ACE marks or was this a decision later? Yeah, no, this was actually extremely early on. And, and I, I can't take credit for that idea. That was really my brother that, that came up, uh, with the idea, well, we really were looking for, for a way to build, build in something to the business that we can give back to the community mm -hmm. and something that made sense and kind of, and kind of aligned with our, with our mission of making luxury issues accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And my brother actually came up uh, with the idea one day, what if we can, we can, <laughs> we can get, get some of our shoes back that people aren't wearing anymore and donate them uh, to men in need. And so we kind of figure out a way and a way to incentivize our customers to send them back to us. And that's with a, with a 50 or $60 uh, credit that we'll give them towards an, a new pair of shoes. If they send the shoes back to us and so that we can donate them to career gear. That's amazing. So I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret just anything to just start. Um, just, just do it. Just go for it because it's really easy to get stuck in analysis paralysis. Um, I actually do it all the time, unfortunately. Uh, and I don't always take my own advice, but sometimes you just have to forget, forget writing out the perfect business plan or making sure that everything is in place and just get going. Because once you get going, um, that's how you end up putting all the different pieces together, you end up meeting someone, having a conversation with someone that leads to something else that leads to something else. And before you know it, uh, you're very well on your way, but you're never going to get there. We just keep on staring at a computer screen and just trying to perfect uh, a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet. It's, it's not going to happen that way. Mm, for sure. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Ace Marks at acemarks.com. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Cameron. With everything opening back up, are you looking to travel again? Well, you understand that your luggage has to be very reliable and secure. I use Cool Life Luggage. They offer high quality luggage at a very affordable cost. I'll attach an Amazon link in this bio, so make sure to click it to check it out for yourself. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.